Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. Hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slam and Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com and you better go quick. You better go before 2021 is over because you can get The Athletic for a full year for $24. That's it. Go do it right now. Theathletic.com slash NBA show is a link that you should use. So go check that out. And with me, as always, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, what's up, man? What's up, Andrew? By the time people are listening to this, it's going to be the new year. Yeah. Can't wait. I can't wait for a new year. How exciting. <laughs> uh, so it's been two weeks. I'm not going to do an introduction because, one, it would be two weeks of me going through games. And also, a lot of those games did not matter. Well, and going through players that have been in and out of <laughs> protocols or like all these new players that signed. I learned there's a Chandi Brown and a Charlie Brown that were both brought up from the G League. There's just, there's a lot Ooh, going That's on. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm skipping that this week. Um, and instead, I've got a fun little project to share. Now, if you remember back in preseason, I introduced the idea of the surprise team. This was the team that had a low over under and was going to beat their over under by at least 10 games. This has happened every year for the last 20 years. I went with the Cavs, still looking good, although Ricky Rubio did just tear his ACL, which does hurt. Then a few weeks later, we did the fake surprise team. This is the team who in the first uh, 20 games of the season is in the, has home court advantage in their conference, but would go on to miss the playoffs completely. I went with the Wizards on that. Still feeling okay about that. Feeling pretty good about that. I I think I picked the Knicks, which I'm also feeling pretty good about should feel good about that as well. And so now I'm introducing a third team. And this one is a much more hopeful, you know, forget the fake surprise. I know that was kind of a downer. This one is more positive because this is the turnaround team. So the criteria for the turnaround team is that they are in the eighth seed or worse at some point around 30 games into the season. So I I set it as 28 to 32 games within the season. This team is in the eighth spot or worse They go on to have a huge second half, and not only do they make the playoffs, they actually win a series. And that's a very important point because you could imagine a scenario where a lot of teams right now could make the playoffs, like whatever, big deal. More than half the league does it every year. But to actually win a playoff series, and I think that's interesting because if you look at the standings right now, especially like in the East, like you feel kind of good about that top four. When you're looking at like Milwaukee, Chicago, uh, Brooklyn, Miami, like it, it's hard to imagine one of those teams losing in the first round based on how they're playing right now. Yeah. 
Then you go to the West and you feel pretty good about like Utah, Golden State, Phoenix. Maybe you throw Memphis in there, maybe you don't. But still, it feels like there's at least seven teams where you would be kind of surprised that they didn't make it out of the first round. And yet, going back 20 years, there has been 21 teams in the last 20 years who have met these criteria. They've been at the eighth seed or worse, 30 games in, they've had a huge second half, and they've not only made the playoffs, they've won a playoff series. And so today, me and Andrew are gonna go through the candidates for this year's turnaround team and make our picks. Very exciting. Oh, I and hopefully, wait. this is such a good idea. I think this is such a fun idea. And the fact that this has happened that many times where they've won a playoff series, because there's a lot of fan bases sitting back thinking, it's oh, over. Man. Like we're we're the ninth seed, we're the twelfth seed. Like this like we're cooked. This is done. But there's hope. Or even, there's hope there's hope yeah. for somebody. Right. And even if you like feel like your team can make the playoffs, you might feel like, well, there's no chance we're gonna win a series at this point. But just just hold out hope because I'm gonna first of all, before we go into this year's contenders, I wanna look back at a few of the teams who have been a turnaround team in the past. Now the classic one was actually last year. Yeah. The Atlanta Hawks. Yep. 31 games into the season, they were 13 and 18 post All-Star break, 25 and 11, and they of course went on to make the Eastern Conference Finals. And even almost as impressive one, last year's Denver Nuggets. They started only 17 and 15. At this point in the season, they were the 8th seed. They would finish as the uh where is that? They would finish as the 3rd seed after going 26 and 10 post All-Star break. Unbelievable. So, so those are some classic examples, but let's go back even further. So all the way back to 2002, 2003, the Lakers. Yep. Remember that team? So that this was post three-peat. So they had just three-peated. Shaq had his foot surgery. He showed up late into the season. They actually started 11 and 19. And a lot of that was with Shaq, but they would finish 26 and nine. They would beat the Minnesota Timberwolves in the first round, but they would go on to lose. Another great one that I liked is the 2011-2012 Boston Celtics. This was the last season of the Boston Big Three, the Big Three era. That's when they made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, lost in seven to LeBron in Miami. That was a fun one. And then what about the 13-14 Brooklyn Nets? This was the team, of course, I just mentioned the Boston Big Three. This was the team the year after that who, of course, acquired – Pierce, KG, they had Joe Johnson, they had D-Will, they had AK-47 and Jason Kidd as the head coach. <laughs> they started out 10-20, and 20, which I did not remember. Oh, They would finish the season 20-11, and 11, beat Toronto in that first round series. Of course, it still ended up being a disappointing uh, season for them, but they were still a turnaround team. And then there was the season of 2017-2018 where we actually had three turnaround teams we had the Pelicans, who started off below 500, would finish the season 17 and 8. That was the team that swept Portland 4 0 in the first round. We had the Utah Jazz, who, as Thunder fans, we remember this. This was Donovan Mitchell's rookie season. Remember the summer before Gordon Hayward leaves? He's gone. The Utah Jazz are in disarray. They start off 14 and 16. They finish as the five seed and actually beat OKC in the first round with a rookie leading them. And then the Philadelphia 76ers started off 14 and 16. This was Ben Simmons' rookie year. And remember this one at the end of the season, Embiid gets hurt and he's out for like the last 15 or so games and they sweep him. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, Ben Simmons, this is amazing. Now, of course, it was against like very weak competition, 
But that arguably was like the highlight of Ben Simmons' career because I always remember that stretch. Easily. There's too, too many lowlights to name at this point. But yeah, that was, it was unbelievable. He's, there's still that guy in there somewhere. Somewhere. And, we, and actually, when we talk about some of the candidates, I'm going to bring him up because there's a lot of candidates where if they added Ben Simmons to their team, you would believe in them a lot more. And then the last one I just wanted to bring up was the 2018-19 Houston Rockets who started off 16 and 15. This was the Carmelo year. Remember that year? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> Everyone was blaming Carmelo for all the Rockets' woes. Yep. They basically sent him out of the league. They you know, did. He, he, was, he was out of basketball. They would go on to be incredible. Like, they finished as the second offense in the league, fourth seed. They beat Utah, and then they would lose in the second round, I believe, to Golden State that year. So these are the types of teams that we're talking about. And as you can, as you just heard, like a lot of these teams are pretty memorable teams. Like you remember these teams, you remember the seasons they had. The last thing I want to bring up before we get into the candidates is, was there a major trade? Because I'm sure that's what people are thinking. Like what caused these teams to have a huge turnaround? Was it just getting guys back healthy or did they actually make a significant trade? And I went through every single one, looked at their transactions on basketball reference. And to be honest, The biggest trade out of all 21 teams was probably last year, Denver acquiring Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon, yeah. I think that was like the best name. You look at all the rest of these names, and there's good players here, but they're all like role players. You know, like Shane Battier, Marcus Thornton for Brooklyn. like (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why I included him, actually. I just really like Marcus (laughs) Thornton in fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But like... Uh, the, the One of the Cavs teams back in 07-08, that's when they added Wally Zerbiak, Delonte West. Yeah. Um, the Utah Jazz added Jay Crowder in 17-18. You know, sure. Portland, the year they made the Western Conference Finals, added Rodney Hood. The point is, it wasn't like there was some like huge earth-shattering trade for any of these teams. Yeah. It was more just like movements around the edge of their roster, getting a rotation guy maybe, but nothing too crazy. And in fact, half of these teams didn't even make a significant trade in the year that they were the turnaround team. So something to think about as we start going through the candidates. Okay. So are you ready, Andrew? Let's do this. Okay. So we're starting at tier four. And uh, first I will tell you that there are 20 candidates that technically fulfill the (laughs) criteria so far. Okay. So there's a lot of teams, but some of them we probably don't have to spend a lot of time on tier four. These are teams. I am not willing to spend even two seconds thinking about that is Oklahoma city, Houston, Orlando and Detroit. Are you okay with that? Get out of here. All of you, get out of here. Don't even need to talk about them. No. Tier three, this is a special tier. (laughs) This is teams I am willing to spend exactly two seconds thinking about and no more. There's only one team in this tier and it is the Sacramento Kings. And no, I'm I'm only including them here just because they are one of those Ben Simmons teams where you could imagine a scenario where if they traded for Ben Simmons and somehow they kept Halliburton, you could imagine a team, a good team, suddenly blossoming in Sacramento. Like Because the, the big problem with them is their defense. What if they brought in Ben Simmons? They all of a sudden became a good defensive team. Al, can you imagine what it would be like to be a Sixers <laughs> fan? You trade Ben Simmons, you get back like some decent pieces, and then Ben Simmons... Ben Simmons is the guy to turn the Kings around after 16 years? Like if that's um, the guy that did that, I would be furious. I would be livid. I couldn't handle it. I I would agree with that. Of course, that's not what this is about. I'm not thinking about Sixers <laughs> fans right now. I'm trying to help out Kings fans. I'm giving them their own tier, and I okay. actually spent way more than two seconds thinking about them. 
So we'll move on, though, because I don't think either of us really uh, can no. imagine that scenario. No, no, okay, so tier like two. This is when it starts getting a little juicy. These are teams that I think have enough talent to make the playoffs. But it's very hard for me to imagine them winning a playoff series. And that's the key distinction with these turnaround teams. Not only sure. do you have to make it, you have to win a series. So for this, I had San Antonio, Indiana, Minnesota, the Knicks, the Raptors, and the Pelicans. In each of those cases, even a team like the Pelicans, like because of the Zion thing, what if he did come back? You could imagine them going on a hot streak post-All-Star break, making it into the play-in game, making it to the playoffs. It's just hard for me to imagine them ever winning a series right now. Same thing with Minnesota, who I think are having a nice season. I could completely see them making the playoffs. For sure. Yeah. But I, but I, could I, I like the Spurs. I actually like what the Spurs are doing. So the Spurs, out of these teams in this tier – I almost included them in the next tier up because <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree. I really do like what they've done. If you look under the hood on the Spurs, like they're kind of impressive. Out of all the teams we're going to talk about today, there is only one team that has a top half offense and defense and it is the San Antonio Spurs. They're 10th in offense, 14th in defense. If you just go by net rating, they would be the fifth seed in the Western Conference. They would be a top 10 overall team in the league. They do have a really hard strength of schedule. They have the seventh hardest strength of schedule going forward. They are also a Ben Simmons team. Yeah. Like, that's, if, that's a destination where I think that you can make sense of it all because having structure from the top down is something they've done since their inception. And their coaching is great. Their culture is great. Their, their development stuff is great. That's a place where I do think Ben could go in and really accentuate everything they're doing. And it makes sense. It would so make absolute sense. If you were going to choose a dark horse, it sounds like we both agree. Like the Spurs would be a nice dark horse pick. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're a team that I would pick to make the playoffs. But like you said, I don't see them beating anybody in the top half of the West. Like, I just don't see that happening. You don't have, they don't have the juice to do that. You'd have to have, to me, that's, you have to have a superstar type of player like on your team that can just catch fire and to be able to do that. And they don't, they don't have that kind of juice. Okay. So that was tier two teams that we both think have enough talent to make the playoffs, but it's just very hard to imagine them winning a playoff series. And that brings us to tier one, which I've actually separated into two sub tiers Getting very complex. Tier 1A and Tier 1B. Let's start with Tier 1B. These are teams that can do it, that could be the turnaround team, but they might need to make a trade. Yeah. And that is Philadelphia, the Lakers, Portland, Boston, and Washington. And to be honest with Washington, I almost thought about bumping them down to Tier (laughs) 2. I wouldn't mind it. I actually, that's probably where I see them more so. I would, be, can you, I would be floored if they won a playoff series. Exactly. That's the, that's the problem. Floored. Yeah. They did, they did have that really hot start, and it makes you think, like, well, if they could get back to that. Yeah. But still, it feels like they need a trade, so I'd be open to bumping them down, which leaves, leaves you with Philadelphia, who we all know what trade they would need to make. Mm-hmm. The Lakers, who, this one's tough because, like, they need to make a trade, but I'm not sure if that trade is actually there. I know. Their their roster construction is so flawed at this point. Not only with like your role players being too old, but just the fit problems that they have. LeBron and AD might be enough 
to just get over that stuff. But the I, and it's hard because I don't think Russ has been horrible this year, but I also think that Russ is a horrible fit for the roster. So it's it's just a they're just in a tough spot, and the, you I just don't know that you can trade Russ again this soon. I think maybe in the off season it might be a possibility, but who's taking on not only the money but the personality, the possessions, like everything that it takes to bring Russell into your organization, I just think that's a really hard in-season trade to make. Yeah, I feel the same way. And and the other problem with them is their current lack of trade assets. Like every trade you see with the Lakers right now is Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, and a 2027 first, which like fine, maybe that gets them something. But going back to the Alex Caruso thing this summer, like not only would it be nice to just have Alex Caruso the player, but it'd also be nice to have Alex Caruso the contract because – they don't no really have a mid-sized contract outside of Taylor Horton Tucker and I guess Kendrick Nunn. So I think they can do it simply because if, if you look at some of the lineup data with their big three, like it's mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah. But Davis is out for so long. They have the second hardest strength of schedule going forward. And it feels like if they are going to make it into the playoffs, it's going to probably be as a seventh or eighth seed, which means they're going to be playing Golden State or Phoenix. And yeah. do you really feel that confident about that? Maybe you do. Maybe maybe for you it's still a coin flip because you think, well, if they were healthy last year, they would have beaten Phoenix. I don't know. That's that's a tough one for me. Portland, we all know what's going on with Portland. You could imagine a scenario where if they just nailed whatever trade they're going to make, yeah. they could suddenly become good and win a first-round series. And then Boston is a really interesting one mm-hmm. because of all these teams, they are the best defense. They have the ninth-ranked defense yep. in the league right now. You see it in some of the lineup data with their big, like, four. Like, if you look at the two Js, Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, their lineup data is good. Very good. And so, if they could make a deal, because they have all their picks going forward, they do have some guys in those mid-range type of contracts. It's not hard to envision them making some type of deal, getting a point guard, which would be amazing, and all of a sudden looking really good in the second half if they get some injury luck and health luck. Yeah. I mean, not out of their own possibility. Even look at the lineup of Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Robert Williams, plus 18 in like not insignificant number of possessions for the Celtics. So there's there's a good team in there. Part of it is that they just can't get everybody healthy at the same time. And they do just need to upgrade that one spot. There's just there's just guys in there like the Romeo Langford spot, like whoever's playing that role, whoever it is, Josh Richardson. Romeo Lankford, Aaron Neesmith, whoever it is, they just need to upgrade that specific spot. And I do think that that would open up a lot of things for them. And they just need a, a player that's not going to just get their own because outside of Horford, it's really just everybody gets their own. Right. And if they can just have one connecting player to add in there with Horford, because Horford's been pretty good for them this year. And if Horford plus a connecting guard or wing, I don't think it has to be a guard. I think they could get a wing that connects them too. I mean, it would be it'd be great. And, you know, sadly, like the player that I think would help them so much is a player that was on their team, Gordon Hayward. You know, if they had Hayward on this team, like that would be an amazing connecting piece for everybody. And I don't think they have the same problems, but uh, not getting Hayward, that's not happening. And that's why I separated these teams from the next three teams we're going to talk about, because something kind of significant needs to happen for all of these teams in that tier one B. 
yeah. for you to really believe in it. So if you're going to pick them, you're kind of going out on a limb. Like I'm making a jump because I'm expecting some trade in the future. Whereas with the teams in tier one, a, I think you could argue that they might not need a trade and could still accomplish this. Sure. They could still make it to the playoffs and potentially win a series. And those teams are the Dallas Mavericks, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Charlotte Hornets. And the Hornets are kind of the most interesting to me. Yeah. One, be- because they're elite at something. They're the second-ranked offense in the league right now. Super easy schedule rest of the season. 22nd hardest in the league. So I guess that's like eighth or ninth easiest. Mm-hmm. They've had significant in, in well, I guess not injuries, but health issues with COVID. They had a yeah. lot of guys out of the lineup. When their guys have all been together, they've looked really good. They feel like a team that has way more depth than I thought coming into the season. So they're one that I'm willing to consider like strongly. Atlanta is like the obvious one because they literally just did it last year. They've done it. Yeah. They were the turnaround team. They far exceeded our expectations. It's largely the exact same roster. Mm-hmm. And so if they can just get healthy and start playing a little better defense, that I mean you might even argue they're the they're the easiest pick. Sure. Like they would be the favorite for this. And then Dallas, you know, on the one hand, they have not won a playoff series in over a decade. Right. So that's kind of asking a lot. Yeah. But they do have a roster that's been there a lot of years now. They have Luca. They've actually played decently without with Luca out of the lineup, so they haven't yeah. lost a ton of ground as of yet. And I think they're the type of team who in the West could get to that fifth spot because that's what I'm really looking at. Because it's a lot to ask any of these teams to come in and beat Utah, Phoenix, or Golden State. But if you can get to the fifth seed, and maybe you're playing Memphis or, or maybe one of these other teams jumps up there, it seems like a, a little easier of an ask. In fact, I would say that who, whatever Western Conference team can get to that fifth seed, I would probably pick them if I just like knew who it was. Because, if, sure. again, if you go back to the East, like I, I think I would only want to pick Philly. To like actually beat Miami or Brooklyn or Milwaukee, yeah. like that's a, that's a lot to ask. Yeah, I I might be crazy for saying this and thinking this, but I my turnaround team is Boston. You know, they were actually my initial pick when I went through <laughs> it, but I was like, is this stupid? <laughs> I the the reason is some of the lineup data that we cited earlier, and the fact that they have the sixth best point differential in the East. Like that's there's like there's evidence there that the team that we're watching is not as bad as shown, and I I think they need to make a trade. We don't really know, and this is this is where you do feel like maybe this is stupid, is we don't know what Brad Stevens is as a general manager at the trade deadline. You know, is he somebody that's going to make a deal? There are some general managers that don't like to make trades in season. Now. This Boston team clearly needs some kind of mix-up, whether it be trading a couple of the young guys for some kind of connecting role-playing type of guy. I mean, we've we've talked about it on our Thunder show, like a Kenrich Williams to fill the spot of the Aaron Neesmith and whoever else is a, a – he'd be a very helpful player. And that's not out of the realm of possibility that they can make a trade like that. Uh, so I don't think they're that far. And the fact that they already have a top-10 defense – and they just need to get it together offensively when they have two like big time offensive weapons and guys who have been in the playoffs before 
and have experience. I, I don't know. Like I, there's just something in me that still believes that the Celtics team can turn it around a little bit. And also they have a rookie head coach who is kind of learning the ropes. You know, I think that there's, there's some times where those guys start to figure things out too as the season goes on. So I'm going to stick with the Boston Celtics as my turnaround team. I could see them getting matched up with the Heat and possibly winning a series like that. If it's another team, if it's the the Bucks, you know, I don't I don't see them beating the Bucks. But you know, I I do still believe in the Tatum and Brown pairing. I know a lot of people are out on that, but I I believe in the pairing. I believe in their talent alone, and I could see Tatum getting hot for a series and winning one. So yeah, that's who I'm sticking with. I mean, I definitely think it's the most interesting option of all of these because it really was where I first went. And I'm not, I'm not even saying I, I'm not going to pick that, but there's something about just how much better the East is that makes me feel like if a team's going to do this, because one of the things I didn't bring up, this does not happen every year. Like no. going back 20 years, there was actually six seasons where it did not happen, but there are seasons where you have multiple turnaround teams. And I, I wanted to do this because this season feels like one of those seasons, just sure. because everything going on with COVID like we don't, we haven't really seen a lot of these teams at full strength for like a solid month. You could definitely say that about Boston. You could say that about Dallas. I think I'm going to go with Dallas for that reason, which yeah. is that they have the superstar. They have an aggressive front office who I think has seen enough. I mean, hopefully, if they haven't seen enough of this <laughs> roster at this they point, like seen well, enough of this current roster. Yeah, like well, what, they what have else to make to they have to make decisions too. Like Jalen Brunson's really, really good. Is he the best fit next to Luca? Is something they have to figure out. Right. And they have to figure it out relatively soon because he's going to get paid. And same with Dorian Finney Smith. Like those guys are going to get paid and probably a lot. And then once you do that, you're not completely locked in because I think a lot of those contracts will be tradable. But you're effectively saying, like, here's our squad. Like, here it is. And if I'm them, like, this is not like the finished product that I want next to Luca. And so, yeah, I agree that they're, they're a good candidate to improve with just adding Luca, but they also have flexibility where I think they could make a deal to get even better than they are now. So maybe that's how we'll end it. We'll each pick an Eastern conference team, Western conference team. So our Eastern conference turnaround team, is going to be the Boston Celtics who, by the way, didn't even bring this up. Second easiest remaining schedule. Hey, just a little, a little nice go. bonus for you. And then in the Western Conference, I'm going with the Mavs. Yeah, I flirted with the Blazers, but man, oh, there's just, they've been so bad. Like, you just, you have to just believe in Dame. Like, you just have to have this, this belief in Dame that goes back years and years and years. And that has to be what carries the day for you. Because like, even last night, and I know they're playing a lot of guys that really aren't on their team, but they were just so uninspiring to watch last night. That it's just it's just really really tough, and it's like and it's the defense stuff. That's why Boston. I mean, I'm talking about a team in Boston that went four of forty two from three last night and saying that that's the turnaround team. Right. But <laughs> de- but defense is something that I'm like okay that shows up every night. Like you can choose to show up every night on the defensive end, and Portland has just flat out been horrific on the defensive end this year, and I just can't. I, there's just not much in me that can trust that. And the, and the problem with them for me is they are, they've already dug themselves such a hole 
So that even if they made it to the playoffs, they'd likely be playing one of those top three teams. Like currently, just to get to that fifth spot, which is where I think any of these teams need to get to, they're already four and a half games back, whereas Dallas is only a game and a half back of that position. So they just have a much longer road ahead of them. If they just make the playoffs, I think that'd be a success for the Blazers this year, given just how this season has gone. Without a doubt. I mean, they're a full game back of the Kings right now. <laughs> like you never, you, as a fan of whatever team you are, you never want to say that phrase if you're trying to make the playoffs. <laughs> shout out to the Kings, though. Have their own tier. Hey, That's shout something. out to Mizzy Metu on your, on your game winner. Way to go. Uh, all right. We'll be right back after this quick break, and we're going to talk about one of these top-tier teams. They don't need to turn it around. They're already good. It's the Utah Jazz. All right, Andrew, it is time once again for the Wheel of Fandom, the segment where each week we spin a digital wheel, it lands on a team, and we become fans of that team. And this week, for the past two weeks, we have been following the Utah Jazz. As of Thursday, the Jazz are 25-9, third in the Western Conference, only two games back of the number one seed. 538 currently has the Jazz with a 22% chance of winning the finals this year, second best odds in the league. They've currently won five in a row, and after a matchup with the Wolves on Friday night, they have a marquee matchup with the Warriors on New Year's Day, the first time to meet this season. Andrew, if our Wheel of Fandom team is the Utah Jazz, who is our guest? We've got Tony Jones of The Athletic. Tony, what's up, man? What's up? How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining. So, Marcus Morris Sr. of the Clippers was recently asked about the Jazz, and he said, yeah... They're still the same team. Ain't nothing changed. Rudy protects all of them. None of them can really defend. Uh, Having watched this team the past couple seasons, is this assessment wrong? And in what ways have the Jazz improved compared to previous seasons? Well, um, I would say he's right and wrong. I I would say that he's right in terms um, that um, the Jazz are still not a great defensive team on the perimeter. Um, I think that that's fair. I think that's accurate, um, especially when it when it comes to playoffs. Um, I think that right now, as constructed, the Jazz are not matchup proof, which is is what they need to be um, if they want to maximize their chances of of, of winning it all. Um, I do think the Jazz are a better team than last year, um, and 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 possibly significantly so. Um, because Rudy Gay and, and Hassan Whiteside just give them um, an added dimension on both ends of the floor uh, that they simply didn't have last year. So, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, if, if, if Morris Senior was strictly talking about, hey, you know, these guys still aren't great defensively on the perimeter, that's, that's fair to say. And I think it's fair to say that the Jazz probably have about five weeks leading up to the tread deadline to to address that. I wanted to ask you about Rudy Gay because he was kind of their biggest free agent acquisition this summer. And there was an expectation that they would try to run some small ball lineups with him at center. I was going through the lineup data. It looks like he's only played about 27 of his 386 minutes in lineups where he is the center. Do you think that's something we should expect to see more of as the season continues? Or is, is kind of finding a small ball lineup should it be a priority for the Jazz? You know, the, the thing is, in those 27 minutes, I mean, the Jazz have been really good in 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 the small ball in the small ball lineups. I, I can, you know, really like off the top of my head, like point to two games where, you know, the small ball lineup actually turned 
a game in the Jazz's favor. Um, and that was on a recent road trip um, where they played Cleveland. They they built a 15-point lead in the fourth quarter uh, in um, the next the next night in Minnesota. They did the same thing um, against the Timberwolves. Um, you know, I know the numbers say that he that they haven't played a lot with it, um, but I think that's more that's more of the fact that you know the Jazz know what they have with Rudy Gay um, at the five. The the year before in San Antonio, he played over two hundred minutes there. You know, and and you know you don't want to play Rudy Gay at the five. Um, um, you know. It, I don't want to say exclusively because it's not exclusively, but you don't want to overplay Rudy Gay at the five. He's 35 years old. You don't want to expose him to, to all of that wear and tear. Um, I think the Jazz know what they have with Rudy Gay at the five. I think, you know, they've, they've had two stints where they've, they've gone to it. Um, they, they've gone to it and it's, it was successful. Um, you know, so I think going forward, I think it's going to be, you know, matchup based or, you know, if they're missing, you know, Rudy Gobert, if they're missing Hassan Whiteside. But, um, you know, I've I've seen the lineup a couple of times and, and the lineup looks good. So Donovan Mitchell's season may not look all that different from last year when you're just looking at the stats. But if you watch him night to night, like a lot of people have noted that he's playing some of the best basketball of his career. Can you explain some of the improvements that Mitchell has made this season? You know, I think the impact is is a little bit different and it's a little bit better. Um, you know, one you know, one thing that I can say um is that Mitchell is carrying his lineups a lot better. Um, you know, so he and Rudy Gobert uh they stagger a lot. And you know, the lineups with Rudy Gobert um when they stagger you know, they have those lineups often have um, Mike Conley in them. And those are often, you know, some of the Jazz's best lineups in terms of plus minus. And, you know, typically, you know, in years past, it would be the, the Donovan Mitchell lineups um, that that struggle. And those lineups have not struggled this year. Uh, Mitchell's lineups have been really good, as as has Gobert's uh, and, and Conley's lineups. You know, I think that he's figuring out ways to, um, you know, be more efficient. I think he's figuring out ways to get people involved uh, in terms of, uh, of the playmaking aspect. Um, and, I, and, you know, and he's, he's better, been better defensively uh, than he has been in the past. You know, he's, he was uh, to a point where, you know, he was to a point where he was pretty lackadaisical defensively um, up until this year. And I think that he's been really competitive defensively uh, he's made a real effort defensively to, to to make an impact on that end, you know. So I think that the overall impact is is much better. I would say last year, uh, I thought that he was playing at a borderline All NBA level. I think this year he's playing at a no doubt lock All NBA level. You mentioned earlier about potentially upgrading this roster, and we've already heard reports that Utah is interested in trading for a defensive minded wing. So how would you rank these three scenarios in terms of most likely to least likely? First, the Jazz just stand pat at the deadline, no major moves. Two, the Jazz make a smaller move for a bench wing like a Tory Craig or someone like that. Or three, the Jazz make a more aggressive move involving a first and or a rotation piece like Ingles or Clarkson to make a significant upgrade. Um, I think the so I, I would say and I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm dodging the question. I would say the most likely scenario is that the Jazz are on the phone aggressively for five weeks. 
Um, I think that that's, you know, like if, if I had to report something, I would report that like the jazz are, are, you know, absolutely on the phone, talking to teams, scaling, scaling the league, seeing, you know, what's, you know, seeing, looking at the roster and, and, and seeing, you know, and analyzing the, uh, the, the trade market. Um, you know, secondly, um, I don't think they're going to stand pat. Um, I think in some way, shape, or form, I think the roster is going to look different on February 11th, which is the day after the trade deadline, uh, than it does now. So I'm not sure in which way it looks different, but I do think it, it'll look different. So um, I think the two most likely scenarios are um, the Jazz make a move around the margins, um, in which means trying to upgrade the roster with a piece that doesn't require uh, a piece from their rotation, or uh, they make a move, they make a more aggressive move, which involves um, either a first round pick down the road, which would be either 2026 or 2027, or which is the earliest they can trade one of their picks, um, or um, or a, rot- a current rotation player. The, the, the issue with the Jazz right now is that they are the best offensive team in the league, and what makes them the contender that they are right now is how dam- dynamic they are offensively, how deep they are offensively. Um, and if you take away one of those pieces, it the Jazz are a team that's like the sum made up of its parts. And so if you take away one of those pieces, you're taking away from the entire sum of the parts. So if you take away, for sake of argument, if you take away Boyan Bogdanovich, you're taking away a lot of the spacing that makes them really good. If you take away Jordan Clarkson, you're taking away um, a really, really dynamic player off the bench, um, which you probably can't duplicate. If you take away Joe Ingles, then you're taking away, you're taking away so much of the playmaking uh, that makes them good. The secondary playmaking that makes them good other than Donovan Mitchell, um, Clarkson and, and, and Mike Conley. So it's a really delicate balance in terms of trying to add to the roster and not trying to take away what makes them good in the first place. Have there been any like trade target names that jazz fans are particularly interested in? Like, is there any Kenrich Williams buzz you know, among I think, fans? I think the jazz, I think jazz fans know what the one weakness of this team is right now. And, and I think, so they're just like, we just need somebody to come in that can defend on the perimeter period. I don't care who it is, you know, uh, you know, just somebody who can, who, who can guard, um, you know, because I, I think, I mean, you look at the jazz, they're 25 and nine, they're two games. Like you said, they're two games out of the first spot in the Western conference. Um, but you know, this team has one weakness and, and that weakness is probably still there. So looking ahead to the playoffs, who do you think presents the most difficult round two matchup for the Jazz between the Suns and the Warriors? Probably the Warriors just because of just because stylistically um they represent everything that's given the Jazz issues in the past. Yeah. Which is, you know, so on def- defensively, they switch absolutely everything. And they are they're dogs defensively. So, you know, I could see them defensively given the issue, given the jazz issues um, with their, with their aggressive switching and, you know, really bogging Utah's offense down and, 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 
and basically putting the, the ball in the hands of Mitchell and, and Conley and just making them make all of the players off of isolation. And that's not something that the Jazz want to do. They want to move the ball. They want to create advantages, get downhill, get everybody touches, you know, and, and, and create shots that way. So I, I think defensively, that's what Golden State does. And offensively, obviously, you know, the smaller lineups, um, you know, with, with Draymond Green at the, at, at the five, um, trying to force Rudy Gobert um, out of the paint onto the perimeter and, you know, making Quinn Snyder do unique things in order to try to keep Gobert close to the paint. So, you know, for example, like if, if, if Golden State were to play Draymond Green exclusively at the five against Utah, at, at center against Utah, um, it would be hard for um, for Quinn Snyder to have Rudy Gobert on Draymond Green, not because Rudy Gobert can't guard Draymond Green, but because, you know, the way that Draymond Green plays with Stephen Curry in terms of the dribble handoffs and then Curry coming downhill and either pulling for three or, or trying to get to the basket, that would cause an issue in a way that, that Gobert has to defend and he just wouldn't be able to stay close to close to the back close enough to the basket for the jazz's liking so you know just the, the the small ball aspect um that that golden state brings and in, in in the way they defend i think they they will cause the most the most uh the most schematic issues for the jazz in the playoffs well tony thank you so much for answering our questions but it's now time to play andrew versus the beat our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head against the NBA beat writer. Of course, this week it's Tony Jones, beat writer for the Utah Jazz. Tony, I believe you played Andrew before in Andrew versus the beat. I don't remember who won, but I'm going to assume lost. you did. did I lose? I, I, I'm going to assume Andrew lost because I think that was back at the beginning <laughs> I, and I would yeah, rather I definitely Andrew lost. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I so that means Tony can go up 2-0 on Andrew today. So how this works, Tony, there's eight questions all about the Jazz. Uh, you're just going to give me a number between one and eight. If you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew gets a chance to steal for one point. We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So, can you give me a number between one and eight? A four. Question number four. Quinn Snyder currently has 348 career wins as a head coach. There are 11 NBA head coaches with more career wins than Snyder, and we're going to try to name them all. So, how this works, Tony, you'll give me a name. Then Andrew will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles. So there are 11 coaches with more career wins than Quinn Snyder. All right. I'm going to start with the easy one. Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich says correct. Andrew. Um, goodness. It's a third of the league, Andrew. You can just throw out a coach's I game. understand that, Al. <laughs> can I have a minute? Uh, Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolster, that is correct. Back to Tony. I'll go with another easy one. Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle is correct. Back to Andrew. Coach Bud? Coach Bud, that is correct. Back to Tony. Uh, Tom Thibodeau. Yes, Tibbs is correct. More career wins than Snyder. Andrew, back to you. It's going to start getting dicey pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) It's feeling that way currently. There's still some... Names that you're going to feel dumb if you don't get them. Vogel? Yeah, Frank Vogel. That is correct. Oh, Back to Andrew, Tony. Andrew, you took my next one. That, that one that <laughs> one hurt. 
<laughs> that one really hurt. Um, woo, yeah. Um, you know what? This one is dicey, but I'm going to throw it out there just because he's been out around for a long time. Alvin Gentry. Alvin Gentry is correct. I thought no one would get that one. But, yes, Alvin Gentry has won more games than Quinn Snyder. Andrew. Oh, man. If it makes you feel better, I think Alvin Gentry is the hardest name to get. Oh, that doesn't that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, better. the problem is that the 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 the, the, uh, the pool is smaller right now. <laughs> yeah, Doc Doc Rivers. Yes, Doc Rivers. That is correct. Back to Tony. So we have uh, four, three names left. You guys have the potential to get all eleven. Three names to go. Oh, Steve Kerr. Yes, Steve Kerr. That was the other one I felt like you guys would definitely get. Two names left, Andrew. Can you get one of them? Coach who is one. What about Dwayne Casey? Dwayne Casey is correct. That means there is one name left. If Tony gets it, he gets the first two points of the game. If he doesn't, (laughs) Andrew will steal for one. There's one more coach. There's one more game than Quinn Snyder. I'm just going to throw out Nick Nurse. I know what's wrong. You got the first letter correct. It is Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan. Good gosh. Oh, man. That was going to be my guess. I would have gotten it wrong. What was going to be your guess? Well, I just, I, I, I didn't, this didn't feel right. I was going to say Billy, but Billy hadn't been around long enough. Oh, yeah. Billy's like in the 200s. Okay, Andrew, uh, what do you want next? Number one. Question number one. The Utah Jazz's starting lineup is the most played five-man lineup in the league with 412 minutes played. What is the second most played lineup in the NBA this season? You have to give me the players. Five man lineup. I have to name all the. I have to name all the players in the lineup. Um, uh, yeah, you do. I think it's the Timberwolves. Ooh. Okay. Uh, Towns, Edwards, Russell, Pat Bev, Vanderbilt. Wrong, Andrew. Tony, give a chance to steal. It was the second most played five-man lineup in the NBA this season. Uh, so it's got to be a team that hasn't been ravaged by COVID. Um, I'm going to guess the Knicks. Very good uh, guess. Yeah, that's you go, not, It's already wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's wrong. They, they're the number four. It is the Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Bridges, Crowder, Aiton. And then the Warriors are number three. All right, back to Tony. Tony, you're only down one. Three. Question number three. Rudy Gobert is currently averaging over 15 rebounds per game, at least when I check this. In the last 20 years, going back to 1996, only four other players have accomplished that feat. I'm going to give you one point per correct answer. So if you can name all four, you could potentially get four points here. So this is going back to 1996, somebody who has averaged at least 15 rebounds per game for a season. Uh, Dennis Rodman. That is incorrect. Good gosh. Mm. When is the last time he did that? It, so that actually would have been correct if I had gone back to like 25 years because he yeah. did it in like 94. I thought, I thought there was a chance he would have done it in 90, for the 96 team. It was a very good guess because it is technically, I mean, it's true. He just didn't do it it, since 1996. Uh, Andrew, you have a chance to steal here. Um, Did Dwight do it? No. (laughs) You both 
lost the the names. Andre Drummond. Pretty easy one. <laughs> Andre Drummond. Kevin Love. I mean, come oh, on. Yeah, K Love. Uh, yeah, De- yeah. DeAndre Jordan. And then the last one, this is the oldest one, Ben Wallace. Okay. That's the wrong Lakers center. Wrong Lakers center. Okay, Andrew, it's back to you. You're still only up 1-0. Number two. Question number two. As of December 30th, only one Jazz player is shooting a career high in three-point percentage. Who Ooh, is it? I know this And Andrew, one. I'm letting you know this isn't going to be like a weird answer, like how Jared Butler is a rookie, so it's obviously his career high. This is like of their main like eight or nine top players. Who is shooting a career high three-point percentage? This is Mike Conley. Oh, oh. it is Andrew for two points. <laughs> the one thing I the one guy's answer that I definitively knew when he got it, Andrew. <laughs> Mike Conley is right. shooting Mike Conley is shooting 43% from three-point range. That is a career Ooh. high. And it would have been Bojan as well, but he dropped just below his career high last night. So it's technically almost two, guys. Okay, Tony, you're only down two to one. Actually, I no, would have three been to zero. Tied if Andrew hadn't gotten that one. <laughs> uh, let me get number five. Number five. The Jazz currently have five players on their roster who were named to an all rookie team during their rookie seasons. How many can you name? I'm going to give you one point. Per correct answer, if you got all five, you could get five points on this question. So they're currently on the Jazz roster. Five players who were named to an all-rookie team. Yes. All right, Donovan Mitchell. That is correct for a point. Uh, Rudy Gay. That is correct for two points. Thought that one might be tricky. Mike Conley. Mike Conley did not make an all-rookie team. He did not. I'm Ooh. going to double check because of the way you reacted, uh, but I don't believe. You know, I, 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 you know what? He didn't break out until his second year. That's my fault. I tricked that Okay. So you did get two points. Andrew, you now have a chance to steal. You could potentially get three more points, Andrew. Oh, boy. It'd be very big for you. Um, Joe Ingles? No! Andrew! <laughs> so it wait, was Actually, Bojan actually made all-rookie. He did. That's one of them. There's two more. Eric Pascal? Yes. Yep, Eric Pascal. And the last one. Oh, dude, it was Royce O'Neal. Uh, is that true? I had I have Jordan Clarkson. Oh, making, Jordan uh, Clarkson. All rookie yeah. Yes. Uh, look. Okay, Tony, it's three to two. Only down by one. It is going back to Andrew, though. Andrew, we have six, seven, and eight left. Uh, okay. Uh, six. Question number six. How many players on the current Jazz roster are in the top ten for three-pointers made in Utah Jazz franchise history? So you don't have to tell me their names. You just have to give me the number. How many players on the current Jazz roster are in the top ten franchise history three-pointers made? Three? That is correct, Andrew. It is Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, and Bojan. All right, Tony, two questions left. Number seven or number eight? Number seven. Number seven. Rudy Gay has played for five NBA teams. During which of those five stops did Rudy have his best scoring season, averaging 21.1 points per game? Toronto. That is 
Incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Oh, this feels very tricky. Or is it? Or is it a reverse trick question? <laughs> is it the obvious answer? Because it does feel like he was really good his like first few years in Memphis. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'll say Sacramento. Well, you figured out my trick question, Andrew. It was Sacramento. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, I knew, it, I knew it was one of those post Memphis years that he was that he was really good. Yeah, and to be fair, he did have a year in Memphis where it was like very close. He scored like twenty, but his his best scoring season yeah. was in Sacramento, twenty fourteen fifteen. Okay, Andrew, you have a commanding seven to two lead going into the final question. The Jazz are one of the best three point shooting teams in the league. Currently, have four players shooting over forty percent from corners from the corners. Ooh. Which Jazz player is currently shooting the best from the corners, making 46% of his corner threes? Bogdanovich? I have no idea. Wow, Andrew, you are on fire. One of your highest scoring <laughs> games. Andrew, I didn't yeah. know you knew the Jazz so well. It was, it was definitely Bojan. I knew that Well, one. Andrew, you've uh, evened it up against Tony. We'll look forward to the rubber match yes. in uh, months to come. <laughs> Andrew, you are kick Tony's ass. Yes. <laughs> I kicked him into the new year. Tony, thanks so much for coming on the show. Be sure to go read everything Tony writes on The Athletic. Go listen to his his jazz podcast with our guy Dave DeFore, Game Notes. It's a yes. really fun podcast. Yes, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. Thanks, Tony. All right. Thanks again to Tony Jones, but it's now time to choose another team to follow. Now, this team is going to be another two-weeker, Andrew, because we don't have a pod next week. That's right. So we're going to be diving deep on whatever this team is. We still have a ton of teams. I'm still adding ones on. So let's spin the wheel and see what we get. Who will it be? First team of the new year, first team of 2022 will be... Who's our new year team? The Milwaukee Bucks. Ooh, that's a fun one. Dante DiVincenzo is back. Yes, we'll bring our guy Eric Name back on the pod. Another rematch here on Andrew versus the Beat with Eric. Looking forward to that. Uh, before we go, if you want to give us a little New Year's gift, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll read it on the show. This review comes from underscore JMM. He says that he loved Jay King on Slam and Jam. He said... Love the Athletic NBA show and absolutely adore the Saturday Slam and Jam. Jay King on Andrew versus the Beat had me laughing so hard. I was crying. Thanks for bringing the joy and starting my weekend off right. Thanks so much for that review and for listening to our show. Again, as Alex stated, we will be back in two weeks. So enjoy your New Year's and we will talk to you guys again in two weeks.